0: Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And
1: I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions.
0: On today's show. Today's show. Amy, we feature audio from the Journey to Joint Health panel that Amy and I hosted as part of HFA Symposium last month. Eight Blood Brothers shared their experience participating in the HFA-led challenge. They spoke about it in the session and with Amy and I during these little baby interviews interviews. that we did with each of them. So audio from the panel and those interviews will make up the majority of today's episode. You're welcome. You'll also hear from HFA CEO Sharon Myers and board chair Ali Ritchie. And we'll cap today's episode off with our second installment of The Well.
1: The Well.
0: The Well. A holistic wellness segment led by Flow Podcast. Cast host Jessica Lauren Richmond, all that and more. Somehow coming up on today's episode. Welcome to Bloodstream, Patrick.
1: We have a phenomenal <laughs> panel today. We I do mean, phenomenal, phenomenal panel. So we have some new listeners who maybe just started listening to Bloodstream because they heard about it That's at true. HFA, or maybe they wanted to hear our panelists on today's episode. We which don't know,
0: but we're glad you're here. Is
1: legit because they're legit. So anyway, I just want to thank you all for listening. Maybe new listeners, welcome. Hey, welcome, new listeners. We're excited that you're here. We encourage you to hit. Hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to those podcasts. Episodes can be listened to and shared directly from the Bloodstream Media Facebook page. How about that? As well. That's crazy. Let me say it again. Bloodstream Media <laughs> Facebook page. You can listen can you or you imagine? can share. Can which you is imagine? very, very cool. And if you have um, suggestions for topics or guests, or maybe if you have questions, or if you just want to talk to us, Patrick or myself, ping us on social media or email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com.
0: I also need to thank existing listeners who had uh, an inclination to say something to me during HFA about the Bloodstream podcast. Cool. Um, I tried to say this each time, and I will say it again now. Anytime somebody stops to say, hey, the podcast, I really appreciate it for this reason. Some people share one person shared in particular some pretty um uh strained personal circumstances during which the podcast was one of their their as this sounds like a little much, but like their beacons of hope, yeah. essentially and, and their connection to community and community. feeling normal. Um, And so thank you for that feedback because that's why Amy and I sit here and do this. That's why everybody who works on the show ultimately does it. So for those who have been around and have benefited from it, thank you. If you're brand new, welcome. And like Amy said, hit subscribe. And I have to let all of you know that the Bloodstream podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes. That's right, Takeda. Takeda, they have this website. You may have heard of it, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Takeda, you see, believes in a world free of bleeds and are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, that's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thanks, Takeda. Amy, we do have a lot to get to today, so I'm not going to belabor things up at the top, but we're recording this now. It's been like 10, 11 days at the time that we're recording from when we got home from Symposium a mm-hmm. bit over you know, a week or so ago. Uh, Any big takeaways or reflections that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Honestly, this panel that you're going to hear today, it was my favorite part of the conference. Many people came up to me afterwards and said it was fantastic. These guys are great. Their insights are wonderful. This is a like, a wonderful discussion not only for patients who are experiencing joint issues and maybe chronic pain and want to um, better themselves or activate, you know, their physical fitness. This is also for caregivers. This is really for anybody, really, who is um, trying to get a new routine. They're wonderful. It's a great—it's a—it's a— It's a testament to the relationships, I think, of summer camp, really. Um, Mm, You can tell their relationships mm -hmm. are really strong, and it made this challenge even more fun. And the conversation is just very, very, very fun. You're in for a good listen today.
0: So, again, that's the majority of today's episode. The other piece of the symposium I want to shout out right now, we finished it off with a screening of Bombardier Blood, which was really, really sweet. But I mention that now because we also used that as an opportunity to launch the teaser trailer for Bloodstream Media's newest podcast, The Final Summit with Chris Bombardier. There is a teaser trailer up right now. You can find The Final Summit anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, uh, eventually on Facebook, on the Bloodstream Media (laughs) Facebook page. But right now, go subscribe wherever you listen. Listen to that teaser trailer. We'll talk more about that next time. All right, let's get into the panel. You'll hear from Sharon, Allie, and others. Please enjoy it, and Amy and I will be back on the other side. Hello and welcome. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And
1: I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and that other host, also a Marriott specialist, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a medical professional before making any treatment decisions.
0: She knows so much about Marriotts. If you have any questions about joints, these are your people. If you want to talk about hotel food, Amy Board, everybody. Amy Board.
1: Doesn't it smell like a Marriott the second that you walk in? It is a Marriott. Did you do that? And you were like, a Marriott?
0: What would you expect otherwise? It It is a Marriott. like
1: a Marriott.
0: It's not going to smell like a library. Uh We're coming to you live from HFA Symposium. We're not just in a room by ourselves saying we're we're live.
1: Normally, we're in a room by ourselves.
0: Let me ask everybody in the room right now, how are you enjoying HFA Symposium thus far? (laughs) Listen to that crowd. Listen to that crowd. What a crowd. And as fun as we are, Amy, They're not here for us. They're not. They're here because we are joined by an extraordinary group of eight fellow blood brothers who participated in this joint activity challenge. They completed that challenge, they won that challenge, and they're here today to share a bit of each of their individual experiences and what they learned about their joints, about their health. And with that, Amy, will you please kick us off?
1: Well, Kevin, will you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about the challenge and this particular group that came together to do this challenge.
2: All right, so way back in 2019, in the B4 times, HFA put on uh, what they called the Joint Health Challenge, Fitness Challenge, and uh, gathered six teams from across the country, up to 10 people per team. And over eight weeks, we uh, each got a, a little tracking, a little fitness tracker, and we averaged our daily steps. And we also had ways to convert other activities like bike riding and weightlifting and, and such to steps. And each team was shown on an app moving across a course uh, from East Coast to West Coast. And so it was a challenge to race across the country virtually. And uh, our team here, the the bleeders of the great Northwest, handily won this challenge. Um, (laughs) Handily.
3: Handily. Handily he sneaked in.
2: Crushed. Crushed. I'm Kevin Finkel. I'm a big game player and very competitive by nature, board games and other things, and so that felt fit right into my wheelhouse, and um, it's a very good motivating factor, I think, not only between the uh, the six teams that were in the challenge, because we could see each team's progress along the virtual track that we were walking along, but among the team members themselves. So we could see each other's daily uh, step counts. And and there were a lot of late nights getting those extra steps to try to to beat beat the other people on the team. And uh, that really spurred us on. Yeah, We we first learned about it at the Pacific Northwest Bleeding Disorders education event. HFA came out and presented at that session and, and kind of said, you know, would this be something you guys would be interested in?
4: And Kevin, he was sort of the ringleader of the whole group of Blood Brothers, he said, Madonna, you think we can do this? And I was like, Kevin, I think you guys should go for it. My name's Madonna McGuire-Smith, and I'm the executive director of Pacific Northwest Bleeding Disorders. We used to be Hemophilia Foundation of Oregon, but we represent people in Washington and Oregon, and we decided we needed to be more inclusive. We just really support our Blood Brothers. We let them kind of do their own thing and Kind of guide them and help them, but they kind of do their own thing. And I just love that they have such a community and they just had a blast.
2: Together, and and we were all very enthusiastic. A team of 10 filled up very quickly. We actually had a waiting list that we're lucky that um, one person had to drop, uh, so Mike over there could join. Uh, You were a last minute addition, Mike. It, it, It was a great experience. Did
1: you guys know each other prior? Did you have a prior relationships? I had a feeling you guys were strangers.
0: Keith, what were the relationships like that, to one another before this began?
5: I, I just met everyone just today. Just, just earlier today. Uh, during the rehearsal? The, just the, today. This guy in the yellow hat, I don't even know what his name is. is it wow, I, it's on something his name with, tag. Something with the C. <laughs> you just gotta read it, it's on his tag. <laughs> no, we all, go way, we all go way back, we go <laughs> way back. I'm Keith Porter. And when I first heard about the the competition, I was really excited because we're all about the camaraderie. And I was already kind of on my own journey. I've been like struggling losing weight, which most people don't believe like, oh, no, you're fine over 200. I'm like, no, I was fine at 185. So here I am struggling. And then so I figured this is an additional motivation to do it and where not only are we meeting this challenge together, but we're kind of motivating each other and playing off each other, plus with a little bit of competition in it for a goal where everybody wins.
1: Now, by a show of hands, who had a background in fitness before this challenge? All right, so Duane, tell us a little bit about your experience with fitness prior to this challenge. Yeah, well, I
6: think I'm the old guy in the group. I'm gonna be 55 this year. And so I kind of grew up in that era previous to prophylaxis and that sort of thing, where people with hemophilia didn't really do physical activity. Mm. So about 2009, I discovered CrossFit. Our good friend Pat Torrey was doing CrossFit, and it got in an amazing shape, and I thought, I want to do this. And I'd heard about the adaptability of CrossFit. So I went down and I met with... Uh, a trainer who was actually the, the person who founded the first CrossFit affiliate in the United States. He was an old Marine Special Forces, King County Sheriff's deputy. And so I went in and I said, I have these busted ankles. And he said, we can work with that. And I said, well, I have this destroyed knee. And he said, we can work with that. And I said, I have this really bad elbow. And he said... We can work with that. And I said, Oh, by the way, I have severe hemophilia. And he said, Do you want to do this or not? And I said, I I do. I just want you to know what the picture is going to be. And so we started off very slowly, very gradually. We built up over time. I got super adherent to my treatment regimen because I fell so in love with being active, with moving weight, with moving my body, all that kind of stuff that I knew any kind of bleeding that I was having was going to keep me out of participation. So I got super strict with my treatment. And then I got my level one CrossFit certification in 2010. I've actually done several adaptive competitions for CrossFit, both nationally and internationally. My first ever international competition, I placed third. Wow. uh Since since then, I've gotten a a year older every year, and the kids get younger every year. And the, the last time I competed internationally, I actually destroyed my rotator cuff which had to be repaired by surgery, but I was very proud of that because that was an injury that came not from hemophilia, but from really trying to compete and really trying to find my place. My name's Dwayne Whitus. I am a 54-year-old severe hemophiliac out of um, Seattle, Washington.
1: You were like a hero to me when I was new in my camp world at Nacho and Things. How has summer camp made you who you are?
6: Summer camp was the single most pivotal moment of my entire life. When I was a little kid growing up in Kentucky, there was no summer camp in Kentucky. So the nearest one was Camp Bold Eagle up in Michigan. So at six years old, my parents packed me up and put me on a Delta Airlines jet by myself and sent me to Michigan to go to summer camp. And... Um, When I landed, there was somebody from Bold Eagle there, a guy named Joe, and Joe came and said, Hi, I'm here to take you to summer camp. And so, you know, it was 1970, whatever. And uh, so it was, so I just went with Joe to summer camp. And so when I went back to like school the next year, people would talk about, you know, what they had done with their summer. And I got to tell this amazing story about going to Michigan by myself on this airplane. And just that sense of independence, that sense of community, all of that kind of stuff was just, it was there and it was evident from like, the age of six, and I just never stopped. It's, it's family, it's pure straight up family. Corey and Mike were both my campers when I started working at the Oregon camp. So I don't have any children of my own, so watching them grow up has been so rewarding.
0: I want to ask Corey the next question actually. Some people here don't even know who you are, they're referring to you as the yellow hat guy, so let's get to know you a little better. Did you have any prior experience with logging your activity or exercise?
7: I would say probably not, but we all were given Fitbit uh, wristbands, and that was what was used to track our steps. For me, I'm a big yoga person, but let's be honest, there's not a whole lot of stepping going on when you're doing yoga. In fact, I would be sort of disappointed right when we started the competition because I'd I'd do like an hour-long hot vinyasa class, and I'd get 200 steps or something. But the neat thing about the competition is that we were able to then edit our own activities, whatever we brought to the table, what we liked to do, that was physical, that wasn't necessarily all about stepping. Um, and that, that converted nicely to a lot of steps within the metric of this competition. It was nice to be able to sort of reevaluate like how I thought about doing yoga because I, I knew it was a challenge. And it was hard to do and not everybody could do it, but I didn't think like, oh, this was gonna to convert to 5,000, 6,000 steps over the course of an hour long yoga class. It kind of reconfigured how I thought about what I was doing with my, my physical activity.
0: That That's a neat insight.
7: My name is Corey Pierce. I have severe hemophilia A, factor eight deficient. And I'm now a 35 year old living in Portland, Oregon. One of my formative memories was at summer camp one year, we, we had a memorial or celebration for all the folks that had been dying and who were still sick from HIV and hepatitis. And we released balloons filled with helium out into the air and then they floated up towards the heaven and everybody was so sad. And um, i was just a, a six year old and looking around at everybody, you know, all the older people who had bleeding disorders were all hobbled and they were, doing their best as counselors, but it was still kind of a bleak thing for me in my eyes at that moment in time as, a, as just a young young kid. And I thought, man, I, I, I didn't feel confident about what my life would be like as a six-year-old, six or seven-year-old. It took me like many, many years to kind of get out of that really bleak premonition. But I think because I had that baseline dread for what was to come, I really, at a pretty young age, started taking my physical fitness as seriously as I could. I I felt kind of a desperation to try to put on as much muscle as possible to try to prevent bleeding into my joints.
1: Who were your positive reinforcements in those ages in terms of, if you put on more muscle, you'll get less injury? Who were the ones that were voicing that?
7: Dwayne from our team. He self-identified as the oldest member of our team, but he—he uh, he was one of my counselors, and I, I remember his story about when he got into CrossFit.ness He—he was taking it really seriously, and he'd already had a lot of joint damage at that point in his life. And I think that was maybe one thing I can point to as, you know, I—I I saw people really st- stretching for keeping themselves in the best possible shape to react to anything that comes their way in life.
6: I was doing a summer camp in uh, Hawaii on Oahu and they had us do a, a, a trust fall. So where you're you're wearing the harness with the D-ring and you're tied to a person on the ground and you climb up this pole like 40 feet into the air. And I don't really believe in a lot of Wonder Years moments. Remember the show, The Wonder Years, where you would always go, oh, it was at that moment that I realized. I don't really have a lot of those at that moment. Usually you do something, you learn something, time, reflection creates change. But that was one of those rare moments where I was standing on top of this pole and I looked out and I could see the ocean and I thought to myself, no matter what, no matter what I do, I'm going to have to infuse. I'm going to have to take care of my body. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to make this a priority to have experiences like this and to live the life that I really, truly want to live. And then I leaped off the pole, so and uh, fell like 40 feet, and it was it was wonderful. One of those life-changing moments. But that was that was that coalescing moment that said, if I want to do this, I have got to take really, really good care of of my body.
0: Mike, question for you, Mr. Batten up there, sneaking in at the end, getting in off the wait list. Congratulations. I never got off the wait list. You know, college, I applied, got wait li- Never got off the wait list. Mike's gotten off the wait list. Uh, so congr- didn't have in me. a couple of ways, actually. So congratulations to Mike. Mike, what kept you motivated
8: throughout this challenge? Well, this group of guys, like this guy, whatever his name is. <laughs> you guys got to learn <laughs> each other's names. And, you know... Keith and all these guys, we go way back, like I said, kids growing up in camp, doing counselors, you know. Um, but the fact that the camaraderie, you know, we all love uh, the, the uh, just the spirit of being a hemophiliac and what that brings to the community, but it also doesn't define who we are. And that we have a love for um, the compassion and adversity and making sure that we help one another. And for me to stay motivated was to be able to keep pushing These guys, but also because I've also had a heart and kidney transplant. And for me, the best way that I can honor my donors is by living my life. And so being able to continue the things that I do. Thank you. To be able to continue the things that I do with the people I love, that's what gives me the motivation to push forward. That is beautiful,
0: Amy. But just before you jump in with the next question, I want to reflect, Mike. When I first met blood brothers who lived in countries that didn't have access or regular access to factor, one of the, one of the real eye-openers for, for me or, or moments of, frankly, spiritual enlightenment was realizing, oh, one of the best gifts that I can give to blood brothers who are struggling just to survive is to make the most of the opportunity I have living in this country with regular access, good medication, good care, to live as fully as possible, and from that place, to advocate for them. I have to live my best life. That's part of my responsibility. So I hear that in what you just shared, and I just really wanted to have that moment with you, Mike. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I love the way you looked into my eyes. It was great. I know. It's always pure. It's always pure. Sorry to interrupt the flow, oh, Amy.
1: Oh, man. Listeners back home are like, what happened between the eyes? Between my? Um, Harp, this next question is for you. What support did you receive from folks around you? And then did that help you at all to keep going?
9: Sure. That's a great question. And I'd like to make a disclosure. I'm originally born and raised in California. So are asking a Pacific Northwest person to support a Californian. It's a it's a bad street. It doesn't work out. But in this group, it was different. And I'm very grateful for that. They accepted me, not just because I bleed, uh, but <laughs> they needed to count my steps. And yeah, And no, it, was, it was fun. We did collective things. Like Keith and I, the guy over there in the red shirt, I just learned his name. But we went golfing and we were able to convert that into steps. And uh, so that was kind of cool. And then uh, this guy right here, we went, walked the dogs, and, and went on a few hikes together. Also, on the tracker, each day, you got to see where individually we were as a team. Mm-hmm. And you would get little slight nudges or, like, you know, cer- awesome. certain text messages. Wait a minute, that who, was started, yeah. who was the ringleader? Who
1: the instigator? Yeah,
9: it, it was mostly Kevin saying, hey, I, <laughs> hey, did you think about walking today? You know, like... Uh, <laughs> did you think about walking?
0: How gentle
9: I? yeah no <laughs> <laughs> So it was it was pretty uh, incredible. I, I don't think going into it we were really thinking about possibly even coming in first or second, but you know towards the end it was really a singular fixation to get number one. so yeah <laughs> so glad we did it. it was fun. it was great. Um, and yeah, we would do it again if we 100%. had fit. yeah.
1: By show of hands, through this experience, how many of you experienced uh, better joint health? That's incredible. Uh, Listeners, every hand went up, just so you know. Matt, tell us a little bit about that. What did you experience in terms of the improvement uh, in your joints?
10: Well... One of the things I've been like, you know, uh, adapting is uh, weightlifting into uh, my, and that was part of my exercise routine. One of the things, and then like, uh, and that's basically I've never had surgery, I've never done anything with severe hemophilia, have really bad arthritic ankles. So by doing like more steps, walking, that's the only way I'm actually going to have more movement and less arthritic pain in the long run. So one of the things I did, like I started walking to my training. So I lift weights and then like during COVID and I started lifting weights five days a week. And I sometimes like if I'm still feeling arthritic, the walk there or even the start when I start weight training, it actually helps me improve upon my ability and my ability to do because my ankles aren't getting any better, but I can get stronger around the muscle, around like my joints that are having arthritic issues.
1: What did you learn what were some of the things maybe that you learned, or you gleaned from the other guys in the challenge?
10: Corey is an endless great source of information because he's got a, a doctorate in epidemiology and he teaches yoga. So he's, any kind of stretching, any kind of information like that is wonderful. Keith has been, well, I know, like Keith and Dwayne have been working out forever and have really worked, and especially with them because of the mobility issues. They're older guys, a lot of joint issues. Um, slightly younger than them with joint issues. But yeah, it's really good. Just like, how do you get past this? How do you like, you know, uh, work a, you know, if the ankle doesn't want to, you know, move, <laughs> how do you cooperate. make it move? cooperate? Cooperate. <laughs> it, it it's uh, being uncooperative. Yes.
1: That's so great. Mm-hmm. What were your stretching regimens, or what did what worked for you? What didn't? Did stretching
10: you? definitely works. I mean, if you have arthritic issues, you can start in in bed. Maybe if you have a band next to it, start working that out. If you don't, if you're like a hotel like this, you can always put your foot next to uh, the wall and try to like you know put the toes up and kind of like lean into it a lot of forward stretching corey topping like get on like you know maybe one knee if you could do that and start working your ankles slowly forward and a lot of chair yoga a lot of like things you just do around the house until you feel more comfortable and then yeah i say uh get what they call warmed up get your body warmed up start walking around ride a bicycle do something like that and that starts getting the, the blood flowing and the joints moving so yeah.
0: Reed, for you, how did your joints benefit from this challenge? And did you have any unexpected outcomes or, or positive side effects from this challenge?
11: It's interesting you say that. So as was mentioned earlier, what's really easy or hard for us with severe hemophilia is differentiating sometimes between what's a bleed versus what's an injury. And starting about eight years ago, we had noticed there was instability in my right knee, where I could be doing my profi and whatnot. I might step out of the car or get up to go, you know, uh, ref third base when my kid was in Little League, and I immediately would feel this weird twinge with a, with a tendon on the side of my knee. And so I'd gone into seeing the physical therapist and whatnot, done all these exercises, and they kept saying, Reed, you have an instability. You have a I'm like, okay, so what do we do about it? And they gave me all these exercises. However through a series of cool coincidences right before this, this competition started. One of my neighbors, who worked for Boeing. I live north of Seattle. And he got transferred with Boeing out to Ohio to work in the space program. And they had this amazing, amazing treadmill, like a thousand-something dollar treadmill. And they said, would you like this? My wife, before I could even say anything, said, yeah, sold. Ours. <laughs> and so, long story short, I started using the treadmill. And I'd run on it, and soon I'm doing a mile, soon I'm doing two miles, soon I'm doing a uh, 5K. And I found that the more I actually use the treadmill, this issue went away. And so I don't have an issue with this instability anymore. And meanwhile, granted, treadmills are not outside, where there might be uneven ground. I have terrible arthritis in my right ankle. The more I use the treadmill, the less arthritis I have. And it's hard to explain that, other than a physical therapist once told me motion is lotion for the joints.
0: So I try to use that a lot. Motion is a lotion for the joints.
1: Wow, I've never heard that one.
0: I want that on a t-shirt. I
1: immediately want that on a t-shirt. We should have had that That, as merch from this session.
0: It would go over very well at a meeting like this, right? It's not a limp, it's a swagger. Remember when HFA had those shirts? Who remembers those shirts going around, right? That could be the new, it's not a limp, it's my swagger. All right, we'll work on the
5: licensing deal later. You have made a long story short. I'm really proud of you. (laughs) Yeah. Your, your greatness should be acknowledged this is a moment this is a moment
9: this, this is a moment, okay. <laughs> is a moment. The, the
6: other thing too is, is, is figure, out, figure out that adaptation one of the things I've learned during COVID especially is, is work towards the yes and if you start off with exercise and fitness and motion and all of those things if you start off with the I can't then you never will so work towards that yes I, I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of slow walking guys at this meeting and, and God bless all of us <laughs> but figure out what's gonna work. Work towards that, yes. Don't, don't settle for the I can't, whether it's water aerobics, whether it's walking on the treadmill, whether it's riding the exercise bike, whether it's swimming. You know, exercise, motion, all that kind of stuff it doesn't have to be competitive, it doesn't have to be hardcore. Consistency is better than intensity when it comes to, to exercise and, and sanity over vanity in every single situation.
0: Just wow, the frozen. slogans are just like nonstop.
6: I know,
1: I
0: know. I'm about to start a whole t shirt business.
1: Yeah, you guys are champions of I, words I, as well.
0: I, so, did anyone have a moment of I can't that you had to overcome or work through as part of this challenge? Mike, can you speak to that?
8: Yeah, so definitely the, the I can'ts can sometimes take over the I cans. It's like a mental game. And especially, I, not only do I have hemophilia, I have transplants. I have osteoporosis, and I have arthritis, all because of the things I've been through. But I wasn't going to let that determine what I could do. But I would see all these amazing things, and I was like, hot yoga? Hell no. I'm not <laughs> doing that. But I could find things that I could do within my own limits. I don't know if you've already tried water aerobics. It's one of the sexiest exercises <laughs> out there. Tell because, us more. You know, yeah, tell us I'm, more, Mikey. So... You can picture me with some nice-looking old blue hairs that I (laughs) hang out with. They want to knit and bake for you while you're doing... You're not a blue hair, ma'am. You're gorgeous. (laughs) And the fact that you can stay buoyant, which I'm very buoyant, as you can tell, (laughs) to be able to not only do the exercise but keep yourself afloat. And I don't care if you're hanging on to milk jugs, swinging them in the pool... That is what exercise is all about, right there. <laughs> because you're like sweating to the oldies in a pool, and there is nothing better. Because also, for for real, seriously, that the joints didn't feel better until I started doing that, because of the fact that it was non-weight bearing and it helped me tremendously. And by the end of the day, as I was, you know, treading water and talking to you know, Mrs. Johnson about her snickerdoodle recipe <laughs> that I was able to get a full workout in, and that gave me the motivation to change the mindset of "I can."
0: So I have an idea, Amy. HFA twenty twenty three. A pool. I think we need this team to have a reunion.
1: Okay. In
0: the pool. Okay. Okay.
7: Okay. Good. 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 Good.
0: Mike will With- <laughs> invite some of his friends right. who crochet and do right. snickerdoodles. Right. And we'll do a follow up from the the pool. We'll get the the we'll get the right kind of microphones. We'll do a follow up (laughs) next year. So we'll we'll run this up the the chain.
8: Noodles, please do. Yeah, we need all the right
0: equipment. Oh yeah, and we'll run this up up the chain. And that's what we'll do next year.
8: Yeah.
12: Nice couple in the elevator, and I'm happy to tell that story. And they just found out their baby has hemophilia two months ago. Okay, Okay, we are rolling. (laughs) (laughs) And I will not, I don't even
4: catch their name, so.
0: (laughs) So thank you both for joining me here on Bloodstream. If I could start with introductions, Allie and Sharon, introduce yourself and what do you do for HFA?
4: Yeah, I'm Allie Ritzy. I am HFA's board chair, so I've been on the board Um, about six years now, and I became board chair about a year and a half ago.
12: And Sharon Myers, I'm the president and CEO of HFA. I've been here six and a half years, but only CEO since January 2020. That was an interesting year. And then six weeks later, we were locking everything down and changing symposium to virtual. So... It's been uh, an interesting ride, but wonderful on top of that. So,
0: I think listeners will last have heard you on Bloodstream in December, your interview yes. with Amy. Allie, has there been anything about Symposium thus far that's been particularly surprising or notable for you?
4: Mm-hmm. I was a little bit hesitant coming in with all the COVID precautions and, and all of that, but just how safe and welcoming it's felt. is just really blown me away and how, how nice it is to see everyone and just connect. I've been in the community for quite some time, but I, um, especially in this last year and a half, been able to connect with more people of different generations and specifically hear our blood brothers' stories and really get to spend time with them. And that has been a real blessing for me. I think Symposium does such a great job of inviting people at all stages of life to feel welcome and and feel like they have a place here. Whether you're a newly diagnosed family, if you've been diagnosed for 60 years and you're seeing your old friend, if you're somewhere in the middle, I think that's something that I really value. I was getting on the elevator and there
12: was a young family that got on with me and they had a baby and just one of those, you know, not a stroller, but like almost a carriage. And... Um, I noticed they had an HFA badge on, and I said, well, how's everything going? And, and all of a sudden, she just lit up, and she said, oh, everything is going great. And she said, we just found out our son has hemophilia just two months ago, and we noticed that this uh, conference was going on, and we thought, yeah, we have to go to it. And she says, we are learning so much. She's like, everybody's so friendly. Everything's just organized. And she's like, it's just great. And she just kept smiling, and I think to myself, How did she feel two months ago when she found out her baby has hemophilia to today on the elevator? And having that hope, and I'm not going to talk anymore because I'm going to cry, but but I just really felt good. And honestly, that's our why. That's why all of us are here, not just HFA, but all of us.
4: I just want to thank everyone for, I mean, this is our first, you know, big in-person event. So just thank you to all of our sponsors and just community members for taking a chance and coming. I'm just really excited, not only for symposium and how it went, but also just the the energy of how that takes us into the rest of the year and next year.
12: Yeah, and I just, I want to thank everyone who attended this year. I mean, we are the first patient advocacy organization out of the shoot to to actually host an event, and we learned a lot, and we did this as safely as possible. And I've said the same thing since we started planning this event. If people walked away saying two things, I would be very, very happy. Mm. One, that it really felt like a family reunion, and two, that HFA kept us as safe as they possibly could with our protocols Mm. and so I'll feel good and I think we're well on our way so so. Um, and Mm. if you didn't join us at symposium there's always next year we'd love to have you we miss you and we want to see you for sure so thank you so much
0: thank you Sharon thank you Allie
12: y'all
1: how many of you experienced a change in your mental health during this challenge Keith why don't you speak a little bit to that
5: Turns out I became crazy hot while I was working out. No, seriously.
3: No, when
5: when you exercise, besides you know helping your overall joint health, there's kind of an endorphin rush Mm -hmm. that doesn't just carry over like while you're working out. It's afterwards like, hey, I accomplished something, hey, I got motivated, I was active, you feel better, you look better. And that's going to affect your overall mental health, that you'll feel better about yourself no matter what you do. See, a lot of things that all of us chose to do, and I love that everybody mentioned that, like, you know, we all did different things. Obviously, you have to enjoy some of it while you're doing it. Right. Versus the motivation, you know, we're all motivated to be successful and win. But, like, you enjoy it. And so if you enjoy what you're doing, the, the bonus is that it's healthy on your joints and that you're getting healthier, but you're going to be a happier person overall
1: emotionally.
10: Or, oh, we're also coming from the pacific northwest so mental health very important to stay healthy exercising as much as you possibly can for a dark long winter. That's
0: harp i'm gonna direct this next one your way were there any uh unforeseen obstacles or challenges bumps in the road for you that you had to overcome if so what were they and, and how did you overcome those
9: honestly i went into this with the tennis shoes i had and wasn't really prepared for how much uh, tread wear they're going to have. And, uh, you know, if you don't have the right shoes, I learned it's going to be more painful. And I didn't upgrade the orthotics at that point, but all of, all of which was a learning curve, asking these guys what they're doing and what they're doing right. Benefits the whole team. And we shared notes. And yeah, I ended up uh, getting uh, better tennis shoes for walking, and the orthotics definitely helped.
0: Did anybody else have any other interesting challenges or hurdles when it came to making sure you had the right gear or the right footwear or the right this or the right that. Anything else, Corey, something come to mind for you?
7: Yeah, I think around the time this competition was was happening was the fall-winter period and, you know we're not getting those steps inside. We got to get outside for that. So I, I know I had to upgrade my rain jacket since we're in the Northwest. We get a lot of rain and, you know, being outside when, it, when it's raining and you're wet is a big problem. So you got to stay dry if you're going to be out there in the in the elements.
6: I, I, I have, a, anytime I get depressed or start to feel a little bit down, I buy a new piece of exercise equipment. It's just something I do for whether it's uh, resistance bands or some more plates or I, whenever I feel a little down, I go out and buy myself a new piece of, of exercise equipment or you know.
0: So if we go to your house and it's just overrun <laughs> with like, we'll like, just it's know. Like, we'll be like,
6: My garage is nuts. I mean, it's really really fun in there. Keith, did you want to get in there as well?
5: Um, equipment. Uh, mine was more like gear. I went in because what I was trying to do, other than just win this competition, was to lose a little weight. And so what I got was one of those old-school sweatsuits.
3: Like, yes. like, the, like, the,
5: like, like, like the wrestlers would wear, like, like
2: it's covered you, like,
5: yeah, and like yes. Rocky style. Yes, yeah, and so with the hood and, like, you know, everything you do, you're, you're sweating to death and, like, you know, you're going back and watching Vision Quest, you know. Doing, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's equipment not everybody has, but I was doing that. I mean, it takes a half hour yes. to take it off.
1: Wow, I feel like this conversation took a turn. I wasn't, like, psyched (laughs) until... Do you have a picture of this?
5: I do, but it's it's just from here up.
1: Dang it. Okay, well, my next question, should HFA do this challenge again? (laughs) Jeez, just if we can see Keith in the suit, my goodness. No, seriously, why do you think HFA should do this challenge again? Dwayne?
6: <laughs> yeah, no, I'll take that one. Um, it, there's that motivation of friendship. There's that yeah. motivation of wanting to crush the competition. Yeah. And, and I, I look out there, I, I see Miles. Miles got good ankles. I'd like, to, I'd like to be in a competition against the young guys. I'd like to be in a competition against the old guys. Yeah. You know, it just, it just makes it fun. There's, there's bragging rights. It's just good fun. It's, it's good to be with your teammates. It's, it's motivating. It's, it's all of those kind of things. And we got to move. Motion is important, and competition is great.
10: I was actually pointing this out earlier, the fact that everybody in our team is a severe hemophiliac. Uh, there's three inhibitors, ex-inhibitors, a double organ transplant you know, survivor, Like, and we won. I mean, we did this. Yeah. You know, going <laughs> mild. It's fantastic. We did a really good job.
1: Kevin, did you want to add some thoughts?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, anything that encourages... Uh, people to move more and and be more fit is is a great thing. And and what we found to a great d- degree was the the competition aspect uh, was very motivating for us. So we we'd welcome welcome uh, another challenge.
0: Who came in second? I don't
2: know. Ooh! It doesn't
0: matter. Ooh. Ooh. It was 2019. I'm yeah, who can remember back that far. Uh, yeah, Okay, well, I, I feel like as the defending champs who very clearly are interested in any kind of rematch or challenge, you should call the terms, and we should just put out there a broad yes. challenge to any kind of team that wants to get together. Uh, I love it. Well, it's already... There's new teams forming in the audience yes. as
8: we speak.
1: Yes. It is
8: getting so intense it's in here, It's getting
1: Amy. dicey in here. I well, love it. The, Mike, do you have some thoughts?
8: Yeah, I just wanted to say that when we did this competition started this competition, I was in a bad place mentally. And this helped pull me out of the funk because, you know, transplant life is hard. The ups and downs, not only am I hemophiliac, but I'm also a transplant recipient. And the day-to-day, the ups and downs, the med management, the doctor's appointments, all those things, it's a lot. And so I wasn't feeling 100%. But this and doing this got me out of that funk, and it, it filled my bucket. And that's what helped me persevere, continue to move forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that.
0: So let's, let's do one last thing as a group before we invite questions and answers for our last 15 minutes or so. We'll start read at, at the end with you, and we'll kind of zigzag through. We'd love to get everybody to weigh in on this is there one thing that you haven't had a chance yet to speak to, one takeaway that you would like to be able to share with people here, with people listening to this through the podcast, something this challenge taught you that hasn't yet come up? Reed, we'll start with you. And sure. I would
1: love, and I would just, one more ask, uh, just introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, share your name and then sure. the questions.
0: Since we didn't do that in the beginning.
11: Sure.
1: <laughs> well, I just thought it might be a nice thing.
11: So I'm Reed, I bleed. <laughs> there you go. So for me... What's cool about this whole thing was lasting change. So I've done different athletic things. Like I'm sure many people here in the room that you've tried different things. Like I was in college, as in marching band. I played baseball in high school, but I was more of a bench warmer than anything else. Shh, don't tell. But my whole point of all this was, where was I at just like, Mike just mentioned, where was I at when we started this? And so, just like a lot of people, I had some body image issues, especially like my wife would go outside, rain or or shine, and it's more rain in the Seattle area, and she would go run a 5K or 10K in the rain and come back soaking wet, like, yes, look what I did. And I'm like, ah, yeah, good luck on that. And But then we started this thing, and I felt like, because in my brain I always thought I'm going to look... Odd or out of place on the street running, and so for me the treadmill was perfect because I can just run like crazy, and then I realized I could run farther. I mean, because it all started out, I called it nerd walking, like I can walk really fast, 4.25 miles an hour, and like really fast, and then it turned into I can jog a little bit, sure, and then it turned into I'm running more, and then it turned into I bet I can do a 5K, a virtual 5K, and I did one of those with like the clot trot, which is southeast Washington, and then. Before I know it, my wife's like, I wonder how fast you could run a mile. So I'm like, I bet I could run a mile faster than 7.5 miles an hour. I did like 7.8, and she was shocked nonstop. And my whole point was, this has inspired me to do more. And today I use the treadmill at least four times a week, and it's all your guys' fault. Thank you.
10: Wow. (laughs) Uh, Matthew Taché from Portland, Oregon. One of the things I loved about this was just the group dynamic of it all. Like, we would do things together. We would get together, like, get together with Kevin, get together with Har, and we would do things, and that's kind of continued on to we're actually now doing a yoga workshop right now with three of the guys in this group as well and trying to figure out what yoga benefits and all that. So we're doing that, like, once a week, and that's really great. The
5: one thing I want to leave everybody with is any kind of activity and any kind of progress is progress in the right direction. I mean, a lot of times when people get on a workout plan or an exercise plan, or I want to lose this much weight, it can be frustrating because you don't get instant results. But as long as you're trying and you're doing something, that counts. You always got to make sure your your own internal motivation, too. I would be in the pool now. I'm lap swimming, I'm doing these Weird kind of after I'm lap swimming and I'm doing these resistance things in the pool and then treading water, like, for 15 minutes and then the last 10 minutes with your hands only, which is really, really difficult. And total strangers would say, what are you training for? Mm. Like, like, what are you training for? Like, like, as hard as you're working, like, and probably, like, are they worried that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make it, I'm gonna drown and stuff like that. But that, when I told strangers <laughs> a lot, like, I can see you're working really hard. What are you training for? And I'd say life. Oh. I mean, also, I don't want to drown, but also life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay.
9: Thank you, Keith.
8: My name is Mike Hargett from Portland, Oregon, and the one thing that for me, that I've realized is that when you set goals, it's it's always good to set goals because it gives you things to attain. But setting obtainable goals is key. You can't set these pie-in-the-sky goals because then if you don't reach them, you won't get that energy, the good juju, to keep moving forward, the motivation. So I like to set small goals, crush those, and then get to the bigger goal. So I like to say that small goals lead to big success. And that's what I learned and I continue to practice in my day-to-day life.
6: Mindset is everything. Who are you? Dwayne Whitus, Seattle, Washington. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, But mindset is everything. I mean, don't diet and exercise, eat and train. Set your brain, get out of your own way, work towards the yes. Get your mind right, do what you need to do.
7: Hey, uh, Corey Pierce here from Portland, Oregon. When this, when this team was coming together, there was talk of one of our Oregon brethren, Stuart, joining the team. And we, I think we would all say that we would, he would have been the rock of the team. He probably would have done more steps than anybody. But he didn't make the cut. He didn't, he didn't sign up in time. So
12: <laughs> nice. at now, that moment, I brutal. thought
7: I was going to have to be the stepmaster. And this, felt, this was a big burden for me at the time. But uh, when, by the end of the competition, I got to be honest, I don't even think I was in the top three with this group. And I, I can't remember. Who, who was top step leader?
0: I bet the top step leader remembers. Anybody? Come on. It, it, Ooh, tell it.
6: It fluctuated. It really did. I mean, it would, it would go up and down. Um, there was a guy who's not here, Jess. Jess would ride his bike to work every day, and all of a sudden, it, it would move throughout the day. And sometimes I'd look, and I'm like ooh, harps ahead by like 2,000 steps. <laughs> like get, get it's going to be like 10 o'clock at night and I'm running around the neighborhood, you know, trying to, trying to get those extra 2,000 steps. So it wasn't just crushing the rest of the country. It was, you know, with, with internal two. competition. Yeah, oh. it, was, it was just good fun, yeah. That's healthy. That's good. Oh. So I, I guess
7: what I'm saying is, uh, you know, I, I was really impressed with the group and, you know, everybody,
2: everybody really pulled their weight. So For sure. Cool. Thank you. Kevin Finkel from Portland, Oregon. I think my biggest takeaway from the whole competition was that you don't need to have a, a regular workout schedule. You you can do little things. I, I found myself... Walking, walking the dog more. I I do geocaching, which is kind of a like a treasure hunt. And so I looked up all the geocaches around my house within a couple miles, and I made it a point to walk to each one of those. And uh, so kind of connecting it to things you already love to do. Another example: I play in an African um, marimba band, playing Zimbabwean music, and uh, so that's a great body workout and swinging big bass mallets. And uh, sometimes doing. Three to five hour gigs at a farmer's market, you you do you get some workout in and and that led to a lot of steps. I would find myself parking further away when going shopping and not not looking for the close spot and just little things like that throughout your day. Just move more and you you get fit.
0: Wow. Just learned that Kevin does amazing drumming for
9: five hours at time at the markets. Yeah. Didn't that 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 wasn't expecting to hear that.
1: Was a nugget. That was so
3: good. (laughs)
9: My name is Hartman. So I'd say I know there's probably a few caring doctors and nurses in here. So I I did listen to them because you cannot possibly get up every day and do 10,000 steps and do it without clotting factor. In my case, that wasn't going to be possible. So I think that it further, and maybe I'm speaking for the whole group, we had to stick to our regimen in order to stay healthy and to be able to do it every single day. So whatever kind of movements we chose to do.
2: But, because see, getting a bleed would mean less steps. Yeah. <laughs> and I would get that
9: text message.
0: No. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. Congratulations, and yes, thank you guys lovely, but yes. for sure. So great. Congratulations. Because just listening to you, like, I, I have more energy about yeah. exercise and fitness. I'm kind of, I, I'll be honest, I'm jealous of the camaraderie that you built say, around so it. Like, rare. it's contagious. And, yes. Yeah, it's very real. I can feel it.
1: We would love if you would stand up and speak into the mic so we get your audio. But does anybody have a question? How did you focus on
12: nutrition to keep your body going with your proteins and carbs
5: I was just nerdy enough, even before we got the little tracker device, I did the little MyFitnessPal app. I was literally entering everything I ate and everything I drank, and it would actually give you whatever your macro is. So you could tell, like, hey, calorie deficit today.
9: I this think is I, how much
5: proteins I had today.
9: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I would say, uh, for me, if anyone knows me, i, I talk your ear, ear off about vitamins, but it really did help me to stay on top of all the anti-inflammatory stuff I took. So, and that was a big
8: key thing to keep going.
0: Anybody else thoughts on nutrition? Chef Mike?
8: Yeah, there we go. It's definitely the stigma is that healthy food isn't delicious. And that's ridiculous. Because healthy food can be even more delicious using the good fats, like I am, good fat. (laughs) Like (laughs) avocado, you know, all those salmon, things like that. So making sure that I incorporated those things while I was exercising, definitely gave me the good, like the, the good juju to keep moving forward. Questions, questions. I see oh, a hand right over there. we got one back there.
1: here, we got one back here.
2: How did you guys work through pain? Even going for a long walk, your hips could be shot later that night, the next day. How did y'all work through that? How did you
10: stay motivated? One of the things, like, with pain... So you wake up, you have, maybe you have the stiff, like, ankles, you have stiff knees, something like that. You get up, and you don't think you can do it. You don't think you can physically actually do any activities. But the more you do do it, the more, like, the motion of the lotion kind of thing that Reed said, um, yeah, the more activity you do, the better it gets. If you need to rest, you know, you have to read your body and figure out if you got to rest that day or not so you can do it the next day. But if it's something you know you can get overcome... You start getting that. You start picking that up. You start learning about your body. And nobody knows your body better than yourself. So,
6: And ice, cryotherapy, massage, foam roller, whatever kind of stretching you can do, whatever kind of mobility exercises you can do, any, uh, anything that you can do to take the inflammation away. Pain management is very, very real, and you've got to be super, super proactive about it and, and figure out what it is it's causing. Where, where the root of it is, like you're talking about your hips, you know, if, can, you, can you roll out your IT bands? Can you work on your glutes? Can you, can you do a little bit more uh, very, very slow, gradual range of motion exercises after you've done your whatever treatment it is that you're doing? And I, like I said, I'm a huge addict to ice. I still soak both my ankles in, in one elbow in ice practically every night.
9: I'm with you. Ice definitely helps. Along with that, I mean, it's just kind of the point Matt was making is very crucial is that, you know, the first day is going to be tough. And then the next day, you just power through the first 20 steps, and you're going to expect that little bit of residual arthritis that's going to be bugging you. But you got to have that mental game to power through it, uh, as long as it's not a serious bleed. Pain's a part of our lives. It's going to be there. It's the relationship and how you look at it. It's Actually, Corey once gave me a really
8: awesome book called The Gift of Pain, if anyone wants to order it on Amazon. An amazing book. Right? I feel like we're all echoing each other because it's it's kind of what we all do. You learn at a young age, being you know, a hemophiliac, you adapt, but you also do what works. If it doesn't work, don't do it when you're going to find ways to make it work for you. And for me, I wanted to, you know, I wasn't really into, like, mindfulness and that. And, you know, I thought it was, you know, for the birds, it was kind of like you did it in hot yoga at the end of your session, you know, but it was... Uh, It was really about learning to be mindful and sit with those feelings and be able to know and and harness where that pain is coming from, where you can feel it in your joints or your, like you say, your hips or, but using um, the tools like other modalities. You know, don't just rely on like pain meds. Try to find other ways, whether it's like getting a nice massage or doing things. I love sitting in the hot tub, not for very long but it, it, it allows the, the ankles to relax. So
11: I, this is the opposite of what my doctors told me as a kid. they say, okay, you have an ankle bleed. I want you to sit there and not walk. Use crutches or a wheelchair, this is the 1980s and whatnot, for a few days and don't put any weight on it. Well, I hate hemophilia stopping me. And hemophilia has probably stopped a lot of us or von Woldebrands or whatnot. Bleeding sores aren't fun. But I was one of those kids that started using my joint or ankle or whatnot sooner than I should have. And even today, as I've, as I've exercised more, I found out, kind of like what Harp was saying, what everyone else has been saying, I know if I do A, certain things are going to happen. For example, when I run on the treadmill, run now, not nerd walking as I call it, I don't have arthritis the next day. So my whole point in all this is, as you do more, you know what your body will let you do and not do, but don't let the knots stop you from ever continuing.
7: Final word on pain from Corey. The one thing I'll add is every, every pain in the body is, multifactorial, there's many different contributing factors that might contribute to whatever we're experiencing in our joints or wherever else in our body. And you might understand one of the, those reasons that's contributing to the pain, but there's, there's other parts that, unless you're really introspective about it, you're not gonna get to the bottom of these other things. So pain is actually a piece of information that your body is, is letting you know that something's, you're doing something wrong or you're approaching Life in a in a unhealthy way, and if you listen to that pain, you can learn where things are giving you you problems, and you can help navigate through life with less pain. But only if you listen to yourself.
0: Uh, thank you guys again for doing this. Thank you everybody here for being a part of this session. Yes. Uh, and
3: I will.
1: To your point, I mean, this will be uh, an audio podcast for you to enjoy. Um, please subscribe to the Bloodstream podcast so you can get this episode and all the episodes that we have. It comes out bi-weekly, and we'll hear more from these guys. We're going to get more tidbits and a bit of their story,
0: so we'll get to know them deeper. One more time, thank you so much, and have a great rest of your symposium.
10: thank these guys! Thank the champions! The champions!
8: <laughs>
1: Wasn't that great? That we, was great. We told you it was great. Aren't they <laughs> wonderful?
0: It's so nice to hear the varying experiences, the different kinds of exercises, the different kinds of challenges, yes. what this meant to each of them differently. It's just, there's so much variation, but to a point you made, I think, in the introduction, Amy the cohesion that they had as a team, as a unit, in the panel that you can really feel that and hear that. But at the same time, these are eight individuals. yes, And they have their different ways of tackling joint activity and thinking about their health. I think both of those came through, both their connectivity and their individuality in ways that I hope resonate with a lot of people listening.
1: And I have to say, we utilized this time at HFA to have um, continued conversations with each of the eight panelists, and we talked a bit about their mental health, some of their mental health struggles, um, how they view their physical health with kind of their emotional well-being for our segments that are coming up, Let's Talk and The Well. So you'll be hearing, actually, from our eight panelists throughout the year, which is wonderful, hearing more about their stories, more about what makes them tick, more about their internal world. So we're excited about that. And
0: gee, Amy, as you say that, I think I would love to be subscribed to a podcast like this where these folks I just heard from and really enjoyed will be coming back in segments across the next, you know, number of months. Boy, oh boy, I better subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever I get my podcasts.
1: (laughs) I (laughs) agree. I agree. And so let's move into one of those segments, shall we? Let's let's get over to Jessica Lauren Richmond. She is the co-host of the Flow podcast, and here she is with a
3: new segment: The Well. When we wake up in the morning, it's a brand new day. Yesterday is gone. Dead, if you will. And today is born anew with the sun rising, fresh life. In the morning, I like to take time to sip coffee and consider what it would be like if everyone I know and loved were dead. It's interesting what comes up when making space to feel grief. I call this morning ritual grief practice. I do it because... Well, for one, I feel like the emotions that come along with grief would be too big to feel when the time comes to feel them. I like a little preparation. Plus, it's not like I invented the idea of thinking about death on a daily basis.
13: Through the lens of like Buddhist philosophy, in those practices, you're meant to meditate on death once a day every day because there is a benefit, because there is a quickening of life when you are willing to talk about death.
3: The other reason I do this is because. Well, I generally like to look at things that people want to keep hushed in a way. Secret. See, secrets just make this human
9: Curiouser and curiouser.
3: The secret world of death, and of course, what happens after, is a mystery. And while the unknown can make folks that prefer to know things feel a little panic, curious folks don't know things. They just have a lot of questions. Josh and I recently spoke with Heather and Carter of Death Differently, and we asked lots of questions. You heard some from all of us on Let's Talk last episode. Well, now let's dive a little deeper into our resistance to this temporary existence, shall we? Yes. Welcome to The Well.
12: We are standing by a wishing well.
13: First... Why is death scary? So there is no one who knows what this is all going to be like. But if I can say, like, what is it that I'm afraid of? Usually the first answer is this big block letter word death. And then you're like, okay, well, what about that am I afraid of? Right. Is it the suffering? Is it an extended discomfort? Is it pain?
3: Or is it love? (laughs) And by that I mean unexpressed love. It's only a beautiful thing. This is all the unexpressed love, right? The grief that will remain with us, you know, until we pass because we didn't, we never get enough time with each other. See, unexpressed things cause inflammation and pain. Things in the physical and emotional body need space to flow freely. If grief is unexpressed love, then time alive is the space in which to express that love. But time in every human body is limited. It does come to an end, eventually. It's the final countdown. So life has an end point. <laughs> I mean, that hasn't changed for years. But the way we approach that endpoint that's currently changing. Like, name five animals. Right now? Yeah. Um, okay,
5: a uh, possum, <laughs> a dog, a rhinoceros, and a tiger.
8: Okay. I don't know where the possum name, fits in with the rest of it. The-
3: gr- they're so adorable. Um, <laughs> name five animals in five seconds, go.
8: Sloth, dog, cat, elephant.
3: So the second one is a little bit more like a game and has a time limit. Mm. So like death has an end point. Then there, we talk about this with story a lot, too. Then there's something that can be worked with. Then there's something that can be thought about. A lot of the esoteric and existential conversations get really heady and confusing because they get disrelated to the physics of living. But if we know that our time in a body has an endpoint, there's maybe an easier access to the conversation about what it means then to reach the endpoint. Which way is more fun? I mean, if we accept a time limit and we actively consider that we do die eventually, well, then it makes sense that part of our time alive has to be dedicated to preparing for the end, right? But how we prepare and how we help those already there, it's just not generally discussed. Unless, of course, you are working with the folks at death differently.
13: I think that that's like one of really the really interesting things of being in a space where someone is actively dying. Because a lot of the time people have the question of like, well, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? I can't save anyone's life. How do I spend time with a dying person in a meaningful way? And I think that that moment in time is a really great time to ask these kinds of questions. And we get a little tender because we're like, oh shit, someone's dying. They probably don't want to talk about this. It's very subjective, again, person to person. But a lot of the time, your dying person needs to talk about these things. You can ask legacy questions of someone who's on their deathbed. How do you want to be remembered? If there's one story that survives your life that you want to have told, what is that story that you want to have told about you? Where do you think we go? And there is unbelievable, I mean, the ability to heal aching and hurting parts of yourself is available to you up until that last breath. And so your community of people can ask these same kinds of questions while living and while actively dying based on that person's level of comfort of talking about it.
3: Medically speaking, there's comfortable considerations around death in textbooks. But what about in our living relationships? Like, How often do you talk to your loved ones about death? In the marriage tradition, there's this thing people say, till death do us part. So dramatic. I married a man who loves graveyards, so death is a constant topic of discussion in my home. Still, the notion of actually parting ways in that final way, it's not easy. Which is why I can't imagine what it would be like to consider the daily imminent possibility that Reed Morgan's wife faced. The following is Reed Morgan in conversation with Amy Bord at HFA.
11: So I got married. My wife knew that there's a good chance she could be a widow very soon. I even had this crazy allergic reaction to a antibiotic, a sulfa antibiotic that only happens if your immune system's low. That was me, where I almost died six months into our, our my organs started shutting down. So I was in the hospital for a week. I went blind. I it was crazy. I mean, at this time they didn't know what I had. They the big thing in the United States was flesh eating, you know, strep or whatever. And I didn't have that either. So but I opened up a USA today newspaper and it says new class of hiv drugs protease inhibitor and what do you know my infectious disease doctor appointment was the very next week i brought that in and said dr Rosado, what about this and he goes we're doing that study and they put me on it right there so my my cd4 count went from like 95 to 400 in one month and you want to be over 200 and so that's when i realized oh there's medicines that might keep me alive for a lot longer and that's when my little The dominoes or the the page turned for me in my head like, you know what? You might not be a widow very soon, Audrey. I might be living a long time. Sorry, I might be living a long time. (laughs) Here we are almost 28 years
3: later. What a wonderful surprise. To change the time limit on the final countdown. Yet even in the best case, long happy life with loved ones scenario, we must entertain the possibility that we will live to watch someone we love die. How can we do that lovingly? How can we make the space and time to be with our loved ones when death is imminent? And surely each individual processing death could use some support. Like a doula. Heather from Death Differently happens to be a death doula. I asked her some more questions about what death doulas do.
13: Death doulas, that work expresses in many, many different ways. For me, it's coming through in deaf education and creating community conversation and conversations about harm reduction and awareness and inclusion around these processes. But doulas can be hands-on. They can come in in the bedside and be sitting vigil and teaching family members how to be in a space with dying because for people who haven't been with it is very foreign and often very scary, as well as being emotionally charged because of your connection doula work can sometimes be being in the household and doing the dishes and taking out the trash and offering to make phone calls or run errands because it's the thing that you're taking care of some of administrative life things that are overwhelming when you're a caretaker of someone who's dying. And as a doula, you're allowing a caretaker to have one-on-one connected time with their person, which is what most of us feel running out in that process. So it doesn't always, it's not like me coming in the room and being like, here's how you do it. Instead, it's like, why don't you show me the list of sh- that needs to get done? And I will go scrub your bathroom for you if that's what's got to get done. Like, no problem. No problem. Doulas can come in beforehand when people are perfectly well and healthy. And we can help people, depending on what the doula's focus is, navigate the bureaucracy of death.
3: Ooh, bureaucracy. We won't dive into that here. There are great resources for support through death differently for that. I just have more questions. And I am using the editorial we here. How much time do we have? What do we do with the time we have? Do we direct all of our attention to extending the time? Do we spend time worrying about the things that might kill us? How much time do we spend on the things that could kill us? How do we define ourselves? Do we define ourselves by how long we've been alive? Do we define ourselves by our health or our unwellness our illness or disease? Saw fade back to Amy and Reed at HFA.
1: How do you feel like you've evolved because of your bleeding disorder or, or and HIV? I guess like how has it made you who you've become while while not defining who you are?
11: You know, like when you make a sword, you put it in the fire and you beat the crud out of it, and then you douse it in water. That's like your 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 trials in life, and then you do it again. You do it again. So I think no matter who you are, whether it be hemophilia, HIV, hepatitis B, C, whatever. We all have trials and experiences in life that make us who we are, for better or worse. And I think it's made me a better person. I I mean, but it's also given me some weird opinions too. You know, you'll hear people say, I wanna die in my sleep or I wanna die instantly or or a heart attack and be done, where I've seen 14 of my friends pass away from HIV growing up. In fact, that's one of the reasons I went to college out of state so I could conveniently miss their funerals because I knew they were dying, sad stuff. But because of that, I've always wanted to, knock on wood, to have that time to say goodbye as those ones, those people did because they had that chance. So even though that might be a cruddy way to die, like cancer or something, again, I'm not worried about HIV. I'm worried about the other normal things in life, the normal two, one, 2 heart disease and cancer, where I wish I could have the time to say goodbye like these friends of mine did. So that's my perspective. Hemophilia doesn't stop me, HIV doesn't stop me. I worry about heart disease because you can't really look in there too easily. <laughs> and I like yummy stuff that may not be as healthy as it could be. <laughs> So I try to run it off, like maybe I'm helping my heart, right? If you run, 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 you help the heart, you live longer, boom, shaka-laka-laka, life's good.
3: At The Well today, I've learned about how to prepare for death by way of enriching life. Like Reed says, you know, you do the things to make life a little better, a little longer. And you reach out to those paving a path and new ways to approach the final chapters. Amazing individuals like Heather and Carter are doing the death work, finding ways to bring peace to the marvelous messy process of dying. And I wonder, one more question, are there similarities in the mess and magic of the exit, death, that also exist in the entrance, aka birth? Can I ask one more question about doulaing? Why are there doulas for both birth and death?
13: In those few moments, you lose your person. And those first few weeks, first month, people are really there to help you. Life doesn't stop. They go back to their lives and your grief is with you every moment. Like six months later, your person is still dead. And so, to have someone in your care community who is consciously keeping up with you, doula work can look like that. Its relationship to birth doulaing is very, very similar because I often will say that you're standing at two different sides of the doorway of existence when you are there for. a a birth, a body coming into the world and a person leaving the world. And a birth doula is not the doctor. She's not the woman giving birth. She's not the baby. She's this extra layer of support and care that is there advocating for the person giving birth. Similarly, death doulas do that kind of work. We are there creating space and advocating and holding space for this person who is leaving the world, because death is a labor of its own kind. If I've had the conversation with someone of what they want their ideal, if you could you know, design your death process, what would you like it to look like? And we've had those conversations, I get to be there on the dying person's behalf to remind their family. You'll remember that this person wanted soft music playing, or you'll remember that this person wanted to hear stories of times that they made you laugh.
3: Well, indeed. We need support to make it to death, just like support is needed to get to and through birth, which is something we'll get to discussing here on The Well eventually.
0: Thank you to all the fellow Blood Brothers who participated in the panel. Thank you for your stories and your experiences. Thanks as well to Madonna Smith, Sharon Myers, and Ali Ritchie. And thank you to Jessica Lauren Richmond for the latest segment from The Well. This episode will wrap up Bloodstream's multi-episode focus on content from and contributors to HFA's 2022 symposium. Although, as Amy mentioned just a, a little bit ago, we will continue to hear from our panelists in The Well and our Let's Talk Mental Health segments across the next number of months. So you'll continue to hear from them. Please subscribe to the Bloodstream podcast wherever you get it to continue hearing from them. Uh, So that's what's coming down the road in the long run. Amy Board, next time, later this month, on the second episode of the month, May 27th, what will people hear from Bloodstream?
1: Well, we have some good stuff in store for you. Over the next few episodes, you're going to be able to hear from um, several physicians that work in the thalassemia space. We've heard a lot about thalassemia. Um, These two doctors are... um, beginning to kind of come out into their own a little bit on uh, You're like a
0: proud mom. I am
1: a little bit of a proud mom. They're very cool, and this is going to be a really lovely um, opportunity for us to learn a little bit more about alpha and beta thalassemia, so stick around for that. We'll also have a panel of um, podcasters that are in the rare disease space. Yes. Um, most of them have been on uh, Bloodstream before. You guys have heard of um, Bo Bigelow. You've heard of Effie Parks, um, the two disabled dudes— um,
0: uh Kyle and Sean.
1: Kyle and Sean, and who was with us? Was it Kyle? It was Kyle. Oh, yeah, Kyle Kyle
0: was with Kyle us for, with us yeah, yeah, for yeah.
1: this panel, but we're going to talk about patient centricity in particular with some of our manufacturers and how they want to engage and uh, make it a culture and how that feels, I think, for us patients. It is a phenomenal conversation. so be on the lookout for those two episodes coming up here. On Bloodstream. You
0: got me excited, and I was a part of it. I know exactly what (laughs) happened. And I'm like, I want to listen to that. And I'm like, you were in it. You know what happened. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But I guess that's a testament to the quality of the conversation. We also will have—there's new episodes of the Pain podcast that are rolling right along, as well as the Flow podcast and, of course, the Global Hemophilia Report. So there's plenty of podcasts from Bloodstream Media (laughs) to keep you busy. As this episode is wrapping up, you can get your Bloodstream Media fix with one of those other shows. And with that, that is all for this episode. Reminder to subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen, as though I hadn't said that six times already, <laughs> and share this episode with family, friends, and colleagues to make sure that they can benefit from the wonderful content that the Bloodstream Podcast has to offer.
1: I agree. Also, if mm. you have a health topic or maybe even a bleeding disorder topic that you want us to discuss...
0: Oh, you should let us know if you, you should You should absolutely would love to hear about
1: that. let us know. Is there an expert or a guest that you're dying to hear from? You Tell should us let us know. us about that, too. Maybe you would like to be cast Ooh. in one of our films or podcast storytelling opportunities? Yes. We were
0: in the news recently for a little bit of a thing we're casting right now. Yeah, it's
1: kind of a thing. Anyway, if you want to do that, maybe you should email us at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com or you can connect with us on social media. You'll find Bloodstream Media on all of them. You'll also find Patrick and myself on all of them. That includes Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.
0: <laughs> and one more time, that is mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. If you want to inquire, I think I stepped on you a little bit there, Amy. So Not I'm just saying it again. Mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. With that, I'm your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I'm
1: your other host, Amy Board.
0: And until next time, take self-care of yourself. Bye everybody.
13: Bye-bye.